<laughs> All right. Good morning, James. Good morning, Ryan. It's been a while since we've done this. Excited to talk to you about, um, we can catch up a little bit on what you're up to, but the main project that we're going to speak about is the Broken Dance. Oh, I really thank you for uh, uh, deciding to rescue it from me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, I'll, I'll tell a little bit about it. The Broken Dance is three volumes of history of boxing beginning with the ancients it exists on Amazon right now but I don't think you should buy <laughs> the Amazon version uh, it exists as an HTML ebook on the website and I think that one is good if you want something if you are want to read it urgently uh, I would recommend <laughs> buying it on the website uh, but what we'll have hopefully in the first half of 2022 which is right now, uh, we'll have a hardcover edition coming out with all three existing volumes plus some brand new material, which is why we're doing this. I've only just really begun to work on it, and it's something that's been in the back of my mind for a long time because I feel a lot. I feel this about a lot of your books that I would like to uh, just get them, <laughs> take them off the market, and. Uh, do my publishing work and make them, you know, more reader friendly and more beautiful. And uh, this is one that particularly merits that treatment and especially a hardcover, large format treatment because it's really full of illustrations. Um, as I begin to read it, I see that it is not entirely a history book. It's also instructional. You have reproductions of ancient boxing art, but you also have brand new illustrations of boxing hand positions and stances and more. So why don't you tell us about about it? I began working on the broken dance right after I sold the Logic of Steel to Paladin. They gave me an advance to, for the artwork and, you know, all that publishing opportunities ended up going away when they basically got crushed by Amazon. So uh, I worked on a key with the logic of steel. If somebody, um, based on the data, based on what happened when somebody held a knife in a certain way and identified three basic positions, uh, that tracked very solidly with the results. You could pretty much predict what somebody was going to do with a knife based on their use posture. So I wanted to take, uh, at this point, I had been coaching boxing for about 10 years at a very low level. I was just starting to get involved with some legitimate boxing clubs, and Frank Gilbert was starting to teach me how to actually coach uh, based on his experience. And I because of the mixture of wrestling, boxing, and Pancratian in the ancient sources, I wanted to discuss the ancient artwork sources uh, based on uh, a boxing posture language. Uh, when you're a coach and a man's standing in a certain, he's fighting in a certain posture, uh, whether he's your man or 
whether he's uh, the opponent of your fighter, what does that indicate about what he's going to do? And so I, I first did hand positions, and then I went to postures. Uh, it was my hand and my body were the models that uh, Joseph used for his illustrations. I think he plopped Brandon Scott Lee's head on top. You know, the the range of motion uh, that we established there was key towards an analysis of the ancient boxing postures that we saw in the artwork. So, and the beginning of the first boxers, I lay out uh, essentially the graphic key for how you could uh, make a likely assessment of where a boxer or other type of combatant in a certain posture was transitioning from and going to, uh, uh, as well as what he's depicted as doing at precisely that moment in space uh, that's uh, that's indicated uh, by the artwork. Joseph even went out to uh, the second base at the Bear Creek Baseball Diamond, which I raked to get the stones out of it, because Chuck Getz and I were going to have our boxing match there. And I went out with... Uh, my friend, Dr. Dredd, and we did a shadow boxing session where we moved around like we were fighting, but didn't actually hit each other so that Joseph could study the foot impression patterns you know, because he was going to have to do a piece of uh, a piece of art that showed the results of a long boxing match on two fighters that we didn't have graphic art for, but we had a description of from I think Pausanias, uh, Joseph wanted to be able to uh, accurately predict what footprints would have been left there with with two men fighting for 20 minutes. So David and I did a 20 minute shadow boxing session together, and Joseph even uh, photographed the footwork patterns. He uh, he videoed and photographed uh, Chuck and I sparring at Seafair Livingston's. Uh, Chinese Health and Fitness Center, and then he came out and he photographed Chuck Getz and I actually uh, beating the snot out of one another at, at the same spot where where he did the original photo study, because there were uh, there were fights from literature that we wanted to reproduce, particularly in the gods of boxing. And I have just seen a few of these artworks, but they are really detailed and I'm working hard to bring them in at high resolution into the print version with the text that accompanies them. So Joseph, you're talking about Joseph Belafato. Yes. And nowadays he draws really beautiful women and paints artwork of very beautiful women who might not be fully dressed all the time. So probably some of the listeners would like to look into his art nowadays too. Um, but you caught him at the beginning of his art career, I think. And he was still in the beautiful winged chicks back then, like oh, the butterfly was. chicks. Well, yeah, those, that's yeah. what sells. So he has a yeah. Facebook page and that's all, that's all he's got there. Mermaids and right. yeah, garden, garden nymphs and things like that. It's very nice. He's a great artist. So he, so you said that they gave you an advance, and you gave you basically gave that to Joe, right? 
Yeah. And it wasn't much and money. It, it, it was Seriously. Yeah. He did 147 pieces of art, <laughs> including four grams of – four plans of ancient uh, training facilities. He was fortunately in between – uh, I think he was getting out of the grocery business and trying to break into the art business. So he sold his building, his portfolio. He essentially just did this as a charity. Yeah, this it, is I, a labor of love. Know. It's a labor I, of love. I just bring it up because yeah. then I know what happened to that money, what happened to on the publishing side. Because, oh, yeah, I had to pay it back. Right. Pay it. So, <laughs> so the little bit of royalties I made off of the logic of steel, uh, you know, just paid power and back for that advance. But the uh, Joseph and I had worked together 10 years earlier. I tried to do like a role-playing source book setting, and Joseph did some of the artwork. We met in 1988. And he was doing fantasy artwork back then, and I was working on a fantasy setting. Him and Richard Thomas were the only two artists that I could ever work with. I mean, most artists are just flakoids. They got no work ethic. Uh, They lie to you about how much they've got done. I mean, it's it's just ridiculous. Uh, But Joseph was a grocer. You know, he worked in the grocery business, same period of time that I did. Uh, he's a hardworking guy, very sensible, you know, highly intelligent, logical thinker. And he saw, for him, the broken dance was really, I, I, maybe, I maybe paid for his gas that he spent driving back and forth from, you know, the D.C. area up to Baltimore and his materials. Uh, and that was, right. he essentially did it for free as a developmental project, I think on his behalf, uh, because it, we went to museums uh, so he could see what these things were actually painted on so he could try to take the distortions out because a lot of this stuff, most of this stuff was not painted or etched on a flat surface. It was actually on dinnerware. Yeah, and jars. To, yeah. Uh, right. Or really, uh, I think some of them are frescoes that are quite degraded and that – you know, we have all we have is reproductions of them, but there is actually some attractive ladies in the book too, because people might be familiar with that. The Minoan fashions of um, oh, he outdid himself yeah. with uh, Minoan <laughs> priestess. So, uh, that, that was uh, that was right in his wheelhouse. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I find it very interesting. I find it interesting that you guys did it at the cusp of the change in the publishing business changed so much and you the story of logic of steel we've covered it before but just incredible how much work you did and that you convinced this artist to do that you just essentially were never paid for or if you were paid for it it's now only because of your self-publishing that you can get paid for it so um joseph i i believe joseph saw it as uh as developmental on his end, he was going to be able to do up his game and get better at doing works that are, are requested of him. And he's very interested in history. And for me, this the broken dance is that's really where I learned how to do historical research. The, the research I did with the logic of steel, eh, you know, that's the, original research. Logic of steel was original research. Then, it's true. 
Yeah. It's true. And I also did uh, did combat studies. That's where Chuck and I started stabbing each other <laughs> in the park, you know, so that we could kind of work out, you know, the parameters of what happens when two guys go at it with knives. Because most people that go at it with knives are going at it with somebody who doesn't have a knife. So we used transferred that methodology over to uh, the Broken Dance Progress process but as far as doing reading research historically i did none of that essentially for the violence project and i while i was still writing the logic of steel and chuck and i were stabbing each other in the neck with rubber knives at riverside park uh when we were done beating each other up between six and eight in the morning i would then walk up charles street it was a couple mile walk to the Peabody Conservatory, and I would read in that private library that's a property of Johns Hopkins, and mostly they just used it for ritzy weddings and for uh, Asian chicks to practice their to take their music test. And I was one of only three people that actually read books at that library, and I read 1,152 books over the three years that uh, that I went there. And the head librarian actually helped me with Greek. I had to try to learn how to parse Greek so I could check translations and try to figure out what some of these names meant. And that lady uh, could read and write five languages. It was, uh, she was in her 70s, I believe, uh, when I was still going there. The Broken Dance is really where I learned how to do the type of literary research into masculine culture that I've since used for the masculinity books and for the areas project. So what you have done is you started with the violence project, the logic of steel and the fighting edge and the logic of force. That's like modern violence, contemporary, right? And then with the broken dance, you went back to the stone age and (laughs) filled in the rest of it. So you have covered the entire history of interpersonal violence, excluding firearms. Basically, you have not much. I know you have, you covered, I think, some shootings, but mostly we're talking about non-firearm violence. Pretty remarkable. The whole thing covered it. Uh, I had to try to figure out the origins of boxing was one of the projects. There were, there's a ton of misconceptions about it. Turns out it's something that apparently has only originated on a couple of islands in the Pacific, uh, independently, apparently. And other than that, it has been a, it has originated with the Aryans, the invasion of the Aryans uh, into the Near East, Europe, and India. The uh, where you get the karate tradition from Okinawa comes from the Chinese. Uh, it's the, the the Okinawa. There was something called Okinawan tea, Okinawan hand. Uh, so there was possibly an indigenous, locally originated crude form of boxing on Okinawa, but it became uh, engulfed by Kempo or Kung Fu that came over from China. And the uh, the Chinese martial traditions, uh, uh, the weapon traditions come from the same cultural source as uh, the chariot combat uh, that the Aryans brought into Europe and the Near East and India. And uh, Kung Fu is... Uh, is usually traced back to India, and you not only had the original Aryan influence in India circa 
you know, 1800 BC, but you had Pancratian uh, coming into uh, India with Alexander's conquest, which is where I, where I wrapped up the third volume, which is 323, The Death of Alexander, for, for various reasons. But there is, for instance, you could, uh, you could track the dispersion of the Kukri blade from ancient Egypt to Argos in uh, ancient Greece to the subcontinent to the Gurkhas in, in the Himalayas. Uh, and you have something that was called a Chopish, a Kopish, and eventually, eventually becomes a Kukri. Uh, so it's uh, th- that was interesting uh, to do, and there is uh, there's a possibility that there was an indigenous Egyptian boxing tradition that predated the Aryans that was connected with stick fighting, but I, I could never determine whether or not uh, the Egyptian boxing tradition was sourced from the Aryans. Uh, or if it was indigenous, but it eventually becomes subsumed in the, the wider Aryan tradition. So there's very few places in the world where there was uh, any notion of fist fighting. It doesn't make much sense. You either wrestle or use a weapon. You know, the uh, the idea of ritual fist fighting only comes into being when you have sophisticated warrior societies that use uh, that used hand weapons and shields with shields. The, the idea of boxing is really closely connected with shield use when paired with a blade, which is not something that's that common in Stone Age societies. There's a, a, a lot of places where the shield never really became much of a, much of a weapon artifact. And it's, it seems to come into play boxing as uh, an Aryan ritual when various tribes must cohabitate as part of the same community. And if you look at the history of uh, the part of the world where boxing really flourished and took off the Hellenistic world, the Hellenic world, these were all city-states or communities, uh, polis, uh, that were started by two or more tribes, sometimes up to 12 tribes. So you needed to have some sort of way where you could respect the the notion of doling amongst members of your community, but you did not generate a fatality amongst your small core of fighting men that protected the community and kick off a feud. So something like boxing is perfect for rival tribes of Aryans that are banding together to fight in coalitions and they want to preserve a doling tradition, but they don't want to kill each other. So that that's really one reason why boxing was such a unique Aryan tradition, because it was a primary uh, martial ritual that was used by a small group of conquerors who had to ally their tribes together to suppress these vast Neolithic and Bronze Age civilizations that they conquered. And they, they couldn't be really consistently dueling with each other. The duel with a deadly weapon was transferred, as you see in Homer, to something you do against an equal status person of the enemy. The duel when you're in group is something that you see in wrestling and boxing and the funeral games for Patroclus in the Iliad. And then against the enemy, the duel was maintained, for instance, between Diomedes and Hector, uh, Hector and Achilles, the lethal duel is against the out group that shares your same cultural values, but it's the enemy. So okay. it's, uh, I'm going to stop you there. 
and we'll stop this as like an introduction to our 2022 project of the Broken Dance. And I'll tell the listeners that what you have done is created an outline. So it's not it's not exactly true that you've covered that entire span because this was meant to be a four volume work. Uh, but the fourth volume remains unwritten. So we're going to try to cover that fourth volume material in podcast form. And then I will create some transcripts or some um, written pieces that will go in the book uh, from these conversations. And in that way, we will uh, fill in that gap from the death of Alexander to the modern age, which you, you pick up in uh, The Logic of Steel and all your other work that you've done on stick fighting and boxing, which you do have some existing books out there as well. Um, there's also some overlap with this project with By the Wine Dark Sea, which is sort of a, you called it a source book of like Greek uh, martial culture for people who might be interested in designing a game. Um, so you can find that too. I'll put some links to that. Uh, but I'll go ahead and stop the recording here and start a new one. So thank you for listening. I'll probably put this one out in front of the paywall so people can listen to it. Um, thanks for listening to the old your old friends, the Crackpot and Lynn Lockhart. And uh, we'll come back with, uh, let's see, what's the first piece here? We'll come back with <clears throat> Parasite, Professional and Philosopher, Boxing, Wrestling, and Pancratian from Alexander to Augustus.